All right, welcome back to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and today I want to welcome Till Lukau to the show. And we get to drop in on a topic that we likely come across every day in our profession, and that topic is pain. And today we're going to learn about what pain is, and maybe more importantly, what it isn't. Now, this interview really showed me how my understanding of pain was quite limited. I have my own personal experiences of pain and professional experience working with other people in pain. But if asked to describe what pain is, I would have said pain is the bad sensation you feel when something is wrong. And as you hear in my conversation with Till, it's a little more complicated than that. Now, I've had to do a bit of research on this one to educate myself on pain science. So you'll hear me refer to things like kinesiophobia and central nervous system sensitization, which is a mouthful to say. Now, Till is a lead instructor and a director of a program called Advanced Trainings, which offers continuing education in the field of bodywork, offering classes that are anatomically specific, like arms, wrists, and shoulders, to more broad subjects like mindfulness and manual therapy. Now, they offer these classes both online and in the live event format. And Till has a diverse background, including manual therapy, somatic psychology, and transformative education. He's done trainings and talks, both nationally and internationally, and as a certified rolfer and former faculty member of the Rolf Institute, he can speak to us as one of us. And I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did. And at the very least, it should give you more options of how to understand and work with pain. I give you Till Lukau. Welcome, Till. Thank you for joining me. Great to be here. So this is a pretty topical conversation in that pain is something that we all deal with, of course, but it also has led to what is basically the opiate epidemic that is sweeping our country and affecting millions of people. And so I think it's really important that we have this conversation so that we understand a little bit of the, the reasons why we're having the troubles that we're having. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you in today to have, have this conversation with me. And uh, I want to start off by asking, you know, what, in your experience, what is the most common misunderstanding about pain? What's the most common misunderstanding about pain? Well, I think just narrowing it down some to hands-on body workers there's a lot of misunderstandings about pain. And you mentioned the opioid epidemic, which we're certainly, um, we're, you know, as, as hands-on body workers working in the field of health, wellness, and the fact that pain is the reason a lot of people come to us, we're certainly touched by the fact that there's so much, so many problems happening with pain medications and the resulting fallout, the opioid ep- epidemic. But one of the biggest misconceptions that we have on our side I think would be that it has to do with tissue damage necessarily. The pain equals damage or that something's wrong. I think that's probably the central idea that when I when I got it, that ne- the pain doesn't necessarily equal tissue damage. It changed my approach with my hands and with my words and my interactions with my clients and uh, got a lot better results. Hmm. And so, I mean, I find that pain is also universally despised or thought of as a bad thing. What are some positive aspects of pain that we don't often think about? Well, why would you want some positive aspects 
about pain. Well, because I'm curious if there are different ways of looking at the the issue of pain. Because sometimes we look at something and it's it's only one sided, right? There's only one story, which is that there's this thing is bad, and sometimes there is another way of looking at it. For instance, there's a lot of ways to look at pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm with you on that. I'm I'm with you on looking at it a different way. Now, positive aspects to pain. You know, somebody who's in a lot of pain, that's probably. Um, <laughs> a difficult uh, a difficult sell place yeah. to approach it. I guess I mean more yeah, in the right. in the theoretical aspect of pain in general. What are some of the positive yeah. things that pain can bring us? Well, you know, biologically speaking, pain gets our attention. It it you know, it fills my attention in a way that makes it hard to concentrate on anything else, hard to engage in anything else, and it kind of forces me to pay attention to what's happening. In my body, and if there is some kind of threat or distress, then I can take uh, action or take care of it or protect myself in some way. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a biological advantage. Uh, people that don't feel pain don't live real long. You know, if you go, if you have no uh, proprioception, that is, if you go all the way to the end of the extreme, you don't even shift in your chair or roll over at night in your bed if you're not feeling the discomfort in your body, and that's not good for the physical functions that your body does. And I think, you know, if you get into your 20s without proprioception, that's really old. Yeah. So the pain does help us move and adjust and take care of our bodies. That's a beneficial thing that it does. I also know in my experience that having had injuries and having had painful experiences allows me to empathize also with my clients, right? And that I can, I can meet them at their level and, and have a, a mutual understanding, which increases trust and yeah. connection with my clients. Absolutely. And yeah, it's pretty, it's a tall order to go work with someone whose experience you can't imagine into in some way. If you, if you have a hard time understanding where someone's at, it's, it's harder to work with them, even if you're working quietly with just your hands on. Yeah. So for sure, the ways that we've all been in pain increase our empathy. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's lots of professional benefits, eh? <laughs> they tend to pain, to put it that way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, at some point, but you know, it's my my own experiences with pain, including chronic pain, that really uh, got me interested in it. And I think I still draw on those when I work with people who are in a lot of pain. I didn't really get uh, how to work with people in pain until I had chronic Lyme disease and went through about three years of pain myself. And it was the kind of pain where there were things that could diminish it, but nothing made it go away. It had a, seemed to have a mind of its own. It would come at unpredictable times, and uh, it would be pretty strong sometimes. Sometimes it's kind of low-grade and nagging. But it wasn't um, something that uh, everything I tried, and I tried everything from A to Z, from astral travel to Zen meditation and you know everything conventional, everything alternative. Nothing uh, really, some things would improve it partially for a while, but nothing really turned it around. For a long time. So yeah, that made me a much better practitioner to understand what it's like to have a symptom that doesn't seem to be responding to treatment. And then also just the experience of being that uncomfortable and that much pain. And so what, compassion. what helped you move out of chronic pain? Are you, are you out of chronic pain or are you still in chronic pain? No, no, no pain anymore. No symptoms, you know, knock on wood for maybe 13, 14 years now with and, Lyme disease. And can I ask how, the, how you got there? What helped me move out of that? Yeah. You know, I don't really know uh, if there was one thing, but the thing that helped me the most was 
redefining my definition of getting better. It switched, and we're kind of getting off topic a little bit here, but it, it switched uh, in my, from my side to getting out of pain to uh, being okay with whatever was happening. Hmm. So the healing for me meant being willing to feel whatever I was feeling, even if it was pain or upset. And it was actually, I realized it was really, you know, me trying to feel differently that was uh, causing me as much pain as anything else, hmm. honestly. So in, in, inevitably you're going after being happy or feeling relieved from the burden of and the stress of the sensation you were feeling and not necessarily um, getting rid of the sensation, but altering your relationship with it. Yeah, that's right. Well, and that's really relevant when you can't get rid of a symptom or can't get rid of a pain or sensation. But no matter what you try, it doesn't have a result. Then there's actually a still, there's still a lot of things we can do as hands-on therapists. And I got a lot of relief from hands-on body working that time. At both the, both the in-the-moment release, relief from the pain, but then also the renegotiation of the redefinition of what that was for me, what that meant. Yeah. Because back to your original question, to the most common misunderstanding, if I think of pain as being something wrong or tissue damage, uh, that makes it worse just on the impact. That every time I feel that pain, I go, oh, there's my whatever, fill in the blank my Lyme disease or my disc bulge or my uh, pulled hamstring that always bothers me or whatever story, whatever narrative, whatever diagnosis that I've constructed around my pain, every time I feel it, I reactivate that narrative. I reactivate that story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's also true with other kinds of pain too. Sometimes there's pain, a lot of times there's pain that doesn't correlate to tissue damage and doesn't mean that something is physically structurally wrong it's pain so can you speak to that correlation or lack thereof between the structural abnormality and pain tell me what you mean by abnormality so for instance a bulging disc you're talking about uh normal and not normal Mm -hmm. It, it turns out i'm just trying to remember my it's jensen it was back in the early 90s famous study uh with mri imaging of people's backs and it turned out that a lot of people had disc bulges and I pulled this pulling a number out of my head 52% of people in this study had at least one bulging disc and so that means you know, 52% is more than half that means that was normal to have a bulging disc mm-hmm. and then if I'm here I can pull this up right here yeah okay so by age 50 80% of people without pain age 50 I'm older than that Age 50 of asymptomatic people have disc degeneration visible in MRI, 80%. So by age 70, 93% of people have degeneration there. What you're saying is it's normal it's to normal. have disc degeneration or disc bulging. As, especially as we age. And that doesn't mean that pain is inevitable in that case either. That's asymptomatic people. 80% of asymptomatic people by age 50 have disc degeneration. 50%, half of all people that are 40, half of 40-year-olds have disc bulges. I'm sorry, half of pain-free 40-year-olds have disc bulges. So it's this idea that there's a, an ideal configuration of the body, and if we deviate from that, then we have pain, uh, is something that's being questioned quite a bit. And I think it's useful to question it. And especially, you know, posture is another one that gets debated a lot. 
turns out it's really tough to correlate posture with pain. Hmm. And most of our hands-on training, you know, the different disciplines, I, my background was as a role for an instructional integration, and for sure we focused on alignment. And it was a given that if you're not in alignment, you're going to feel bad, or that eventually. Well, it turns out that it's hard to back that up with much evidence. It's hard to go the other way, for example, and say, if you show really good practitioners pictures of people, they can't pick out the ones from the picture that are in pain based on their posture, say. Not possible. So they have to lead through experience. They have to judge by what, it, what, what the person who is actually experiencing the pain says is going on. Well, yeah, we have to be able to talk to them. <laughs> we have to be able to ask them how they're doing hmm. to understand uh, you know, if they're in pain or not because pain is subjective. I guess that's the other, back to your misunderstandings question. Pain is purely subjective. Pain is related completely to how I respond and interpret to my uh, sensation and my experience. Pain is not a sensation. Pain is an experience. Hmm. Pain is not a signal. There is no pain signals. There's no susceptive signals that my brain and central nervous system can interpret as pain and respond to in a protective way. There's no such thing as pain signals. Mm-hmm. Well, when I started researching for this interview, one of the first things that became clear to me is that I had a very narrow view of what pain is. To me, pain was, mm. as you said, one of the most common misconceptions. It was tissue damage. It was, it was, it was strain on tissue. It was uh, nerve impulses going to the brain saying, this is pain, this is pain. And uh, I believe that, that view is probably shared with a lot of people. I guess my question to you is, you have a much more diverse association with what pain pain can be, or more specific in some ways, because it's not sensation in your mind. So if you had to put it into like a well, few words, what would it be? What you're saying is accurate, really, for, for acute pain. If I put my finger in the fire, there is tissue threat or damage, and I do get a signal that I interpret as pain, and I pull my hand out. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying does apply to a lot of acute pain, something that happens in the moment. But, you know, you step on attack, you feel some pain, yeah, and you adjust accordingly. Uh, in those cases, you're protecting yourself from tissue damage. But where that model breaks down is with pain that goes on for a while, especially as it becomes, you know, as months go by, then there's very little correlation between any tissue distress and the pain people feel. So that I can be in a lot of pain and have very little that someone could see in an MRI or determine through different kinds of testing, or even you know perhaps even feel with my hands-on body work, or I could have the same kind of things. I could have a lot going on in my body and uh, have uh, almost no pain at all. Like the disc bulge question. A lot of people have pretty severe disc bulges but don't suffer from it. So I guess in that sense that I had a very I had a partial view of what pain is and it does fit into the acute model but not necessarily the chronic model. Yeah, part, that's an important distinction. That's mm-hmm. right. Do we mix up what we know about acute pain with what we assume about chronic pain? Yeah. And so sure as as hands-on therapists if we think that everybody that comes in our door who has pain has some tissue distress, we're going to work on them in a certain way and then Sometimes it's really going to help because sometimes there is tissue distress that's, you know, causing, in quotes, that pain. And other times, maybe more times, there's less of a connection. So my next question was going to be, what are some of the limitations in our classic understanding of pain? Sure. It's, it's thinking about pain as a physical thing, a pain 
signal of painful tissue. And a lot of times it's not. And so our attempts to try to correct, in quotes, pain physically, often they work and often they don't. So that's the limitation of that model of pain being a thing that's related to physical tissues limits the way we think about it and limits the approaches we can try. Because this, we're really good, I think, most, you know, whether we're a massage therapist or structural integrator or work with our hands in other ways, we're really good at paying attention to how people perceive our touch, say. And we're really good at working with sensation. We know uh, if it's how the pressure is, so, you know, partly by asking, but partly by reading the feedback from the body, too. So there's ways we can use those same skills to, to work with someone's chronic pain. It can be really helpful. But it's not because we're going to think, find the tight muscle or find the dense fascia or find the pinched nerve even. What are some of the new research that is coming out on pain? There's so much happening all the time. And part of it is uh, in the pain, in neurology and the pain science field, there's lots being learned about pain in other fields too, like, uh, like uh, sleep research. turns out that, that sleep deprivation has a lot to do with chronic pain. That's a chicken and egg problem. When you're hurting, you don't sleep very well. But guess what? If you don't sleep very well, your, your pain goes up too. So there's also a lot of interesting research being done around the anticipation of pain, that if we are afraid something's going to hurt or expect it to hurt, well, sure enough, it does. And that uh, there's, a, again, a chicken and egg thing. If we expect it, that, that worsens, that sets us up in a way for more pain. Genetics and pain is another one. It just seems like some of us feel things stronger or at least react to things stronger than others. And that's not to say that we're just, fated to uh, respond a certain way, but that we seem to have different reactivity and different set points to work with, just based on our genetics, say. And then another one is neurogenic inflammation, which is tissue inflammation that seems to be responding to descending signals, descending and coming from the brain or central nervous system out to the periphery and becoming inflamed based on those signals. So it's not... And being inflamed because we say twisted our ankle or uh, got a bee sting, to becoming inflamed because of things happening in our central nervous system that are being communicated through the nerves downward or peripherally and causing the tissue to be upset and inflamed. Hmm. So what does it mean to have sensitization uh, to your central nervous system? Central sensitization is pain experience, over a large part of the body that seems to move around, that seems more related, again, to the state of your central nervous system than to any particular peripheral issue, like the tissue damage or the tissue distress. And a lot of times, I think a lot of us see people in our clients that have aspects of this. It exists on a continuum, and there's some debate about it, too. It's not universally accepted by everybody or even what the diagnostic criteria would be. But there does seem to be something to the idea that people's uh, central nervous system, their brain and their reflexes, become sensitized to pain and so experience all sorts of sensation as pain or even experience pain just without any kind of input. So like when they're working on someone and the pain level just goes up and up or we work, we get their ankle feeling better and then their hip hurts where their opposite arm hurts, 
Or I'm just thinking of a, a client I had who fell on a shoulder and broke his collarbone. The collarbone was broken so close to the end that they couldn't uh, stabilize it very well and it didn't unionize, so it stayed uh, uh, non-unionized, stayed loose, which kept irritating the tissue. So there's the tissue cause of his pain, and that hurt. But as a result from going through that for several months, he started hurting everywhere. And so even after they did some surgery and put his uh, clavicle back together with some screws and the tissue there wasn't being irritated by the non-unionized fracture, he would have transient pain, really strong transient pain throughout his body. This is different than compensation. This is, this is not localized, not necessarily physical. Well, not necessarily structural. structural. Yeah, like your compensation, say if your shoulder's tight, you might hold your neck to a certain way or you might shift to the other side and you typically have, let's say, you know, if you hurt your right, left knee, it's pretty common that your right sacroiliac joint may start to bother you after a while. Those kind of compensations are, there probably is some kind of structural patterning that goes on there and some of them are somewhat predictable. But in this case, no, it wasn't because he was holding his shoulder a different way. It's because his nervous system was so exhausted from so much pain and so sensitized to being so much pain that everything felt like pain everywhere. So tell me a little bit about the issue of invalidation with regards to chronic pain. Invalidation is what happens when, as a patient, doubt is cast on the reality of my symptom, say. And it happens inadvertently. A lot of us uh, have experienced that where... uh, with the best of intentions, the accuracy or veracity or validity of what we're experiencing can be questioned by another, by a health practitioner, say. Like uh, the classic one is it's all in your head. Or there's nothing we can do for me that seems to be psychosomatic. Or uh, it, it, the, the experience of invalidation can happen in all sorts of subtle ways, even like there's nothing on the x-ray, so you're good. Hmm. Well, I still hurt. You know, how come I still hurt? We don't have an answer for you, which is accurate. We don't have an answer if we try to look on the X-ray, but it doesn't mean you don't have pain. The trouble is, pain being a subjective experience um, doesn't fit into the objective scientific model of finding a symptom, finding a sorry, finding a, a sign you can measure and reduce to a set of metrics that you can monitor and treat. You can get people to do a pain scale, but even that's subjective. And uh, pain, the invalidation uh, phenomenon happens when I get, I start to question my own reality, which ironically starts to make me more anxious or more depressed, say, or more hopeless. And all those things also increase pain. Pain can be valid as an emotion, even. Mm-hmm. As a homeostatic emotion or protective emotion or physiological emotion. And it's tied to other emotions. When I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling uh, worried or I'm feeling depressed, pain is stronger. So as massage therapists, how can we help dispel sense of invalidation? More than just not reinforcing it, how can we work to help people feel validated in their chronic pain? Well, it's by listening. It's really, it's all the things that good therapists do. It's by listening, by believing people about their experience. I'm not passing judgment on it being real or imagined. 
but by really taking people at the at the value of what they're saying and responding to what people say they experience and what they want. That's probably the best thing we can do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also there's little there's subtle ways that maybe it's not invalidation so much, but there's ways that we typically practice that can make the experience of pain worse by just just the language that we use, say, by just um, uh, you know, the little phrases like, uh, um, well, there's all the medical ones that get repeated that are shown to be nocebos, which are um, ideas or experiences that cause uh, distress or pain, as opposed to a placebo, which is something that makes you feel better. But a nocebo is something like a disc issue. This is, the term disc issue turns out to be nociceptive for a lot of people. A lot of people hurt worse when they've heard that or bone on bone, or frozen shoulder, or these terms that have a kind of a loaded emotional load behind them, or an an imagery behind them that doesn't allow for change, or has a kind of pathology or damage assumption to them, where just having been diagnosed with those things, people seem to do worse. Like the group of people that, a study between uh, people that had seen their MRIs and people that hadn't, same MRI uh, problems seen by the clinicians, but the patients that had seen their MRIs actually took a lot longer to get better than the ones who'd never seen their MRIs. The idea being that if I had seen the MRI and I'm told that that's the reason for my pain and I have this picture in my mind of this ugly-looking back, that every time I feel that pain, I think of that ugly-looking picture and go, oh, there's my damage. There's my bulging disc or there's my whatever it is. And that keeps me in that distress state and it keeps me in pain for longer. So given this understanding that pain cannot necessarily be structural, it can, it can have this other quality to it. What are some effective strategies yeah. for massage therapists to use in their work when addressing pain that may not be connected to something structural beneath their hands? Yeah, that's, that's an important question. And it's uh, a big one. I mean, we spend a bunch of time in our trainings kind of unfolding that and looking at ways to do that. But the short version is by helping people become friends with their sensation again. For example, we might, instead of using language that pathologizes or implies damage or, or, or um, defect, if we just simply get people to just describe what they're feeling in terms of sensation, even describing a pain changes it. Uh, and so, you know, helping people, like I'm just sitting here for a second, let me describe my my sensation of sitting in a chair. I can describe it as, say, a funny kind of pain in my low back, or I can describe it as a, a kind of a pressure, let's say. Or there could, you know, the burning, it could be, um, can change too as we start to actually put words to it and describe it. Mm-hmm. Or what I assume to be, say, tight, uh, or achy shoulders as I start to feel the achiness in the shoulders and actually mindfully feel into that sensation. Often it shifts and the sensation itself is far worse than my reaction to it. It's one way, one way we can work as practitioners. And we do that with our hands. When we touch people, we're turning up the volume on the sensation. The sensation is there. We're causing a sensation with our pressure, but also just the fact of having attention drawn to it shift someone's proprioception, and that's therapeutic. 
by itself. And what about using play and curiosity to engage clients? Is that something that you, you I, use? Well, yeah. I mean, that makes it sound kind of clinical. That's like a tool I take out of my box. Okay, now let's play. <laughs> but it's so important that, that I can move towards my experience, let's say, as a, as a client. But as a practitioner, too, that I'm interested in what I'm doing. You could, on a really simple level, you could say pain is simply moving away from an experience. Just a purely spatial model. I'm going to try to retreat from or tense away from or contract around my experience. That's a movement away. What switches pain is being able to move towards it or at least keep my seat, stay center, in the center with it in relationship to it. At that point, it's not pain anymore. Yeah, I'll say that makes a lot of sense to me in that, you know, my, my initial impression of pain was the acute form, which is, yes, my hand is over flame. I'm going to pull away from it because that, 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 that yeah. removes me from that painful situation. And what we're talking about when we get into chronic pain is that that's our same, that same mechanism is there, but it's not going to solve the issue. Yeah, we're still pulling our hand to try to get out of the fire, but the fire's not there. We're still contracting and tensing and pulling away, but there's no more noxious stimulus from the outside. It's all, it's all within our own nervous system at that point. Now, tell me a little bit about kinesiophobia, which is the fear of moving a limb. I know you talk a little bit about this. How, how can we use that and work with that to improve our client's experience? Well, it turns out that one of the things that helps most pain, if not all pain, is movement. That, and uh, paradoxically, we tend to brace or protect things when they hurt and don't move them, or a lot of treatments like uh, rice, you know, just what you do for a sprain, immobilizing, which is controversial. Some people are saying, no, that's not the thing to do. They actually want gentle mobility, even in an acute situation. But it turns out that gentle movement helps the tissue recover quicker and helps the nervous system readapt to whatever insult it's had. So that when we sense or see or feel that people are anxious about moving or don't want to move because of pain, that's uh, that's a really fruitful area to explore. And not to try to get them to push through anything. It's not about that because that just breaks, uh, that, that pushes beyond a threshold and causes me to protect more in the end. But by experimenting, by very gently playing with uh, what's possible, and uh, not letting, it's, it's a totally different model. I used to say, it, you know, people would say, well, how much should I move now that I'm hurt after my session? They're going away, they feel better. They say, if it hurts, should I stop? I used to say, yeah, pain is a sign that you shouldn't be moving. Well, it's, it, the, the view has turned 180 degrees now. And the view is, well, if, if you don't flare up afterwards, then it's good. Or even if you flare up a little bit, but then recover quickly from the flare up, that's probably still helpful. It's when you push it so far that you end up in bed the whole next day that that's clearly not helpful. But the, the increasing our generally increasing our adaptive range, increasing what we can tolerate, is a helpful process on pain and movement. So, how can mindfulness help with pain? Well, my, there's a lot of different things people mean by mindfulness, but probably the universal properties or principles are paying attention to a present experience, present moment experience. And a sense of acceptance or being with as opposed to trying to change it or evaluate it or reject it. So if we go back to pain for a second, a very, it turns out to be a very effective strategy. And there's some really interesting research that's been done 
around mindfulness and pain. And it's turning, again, it's turning around the vector of our reaction. Rather than retreating from or contracting away from or trying to get rid of this experience, actually practice feeling it on purpose, you know, making it the object of my attention in the present moment, which means separate from what I anticipate that it will be, how it's going to hurt tomorrow, how it hurt yesterday, what always happens when I feel this pain, all those stories I just leave aside for now. And then the acceptance piece, that's simply being with it in its essential nature as opposed to trying to shift it or change it. So that's, you know, that's the practice of mindfulness, and it can be just as a little thing that I do with myself whenever I notice my pain, or it can be a more formalized practice where I actually spend time, uh, say, in meditation or in structured mindfulness exercises to work with pain. Those can be really helpful, though. So in all the ones, all the things we're talking about now, there seems to be some form of client participation. And that strikes me as maybe one of the reasons why it can be so easy for people to just lean on opiates, opiates, because they don't have to do anything. They can just take a pill as opposed to actually feel something. Yeah. It's the, it's the reverse, isn't it? It's like, we're not, we're trying, we're not trying to get away from the pain or end the pain. Paradoxically, the pain often ends up diminishing quite a bit or goes away even. But the approach that I'm talking about isn't about trying to get away from it. And it is, uh, there's a bit of a setup too, like say in a a more of a massage therapy practice, people are often coming expecting a passive uh, role. And a lot of massage therapists assume that that's what their clients expect. In fact, maybe that's even more of a phenomenon what the clients expect. A lot of clients are more open than we assume, but a lot of, let's say put it this way, a lot of massage therapists expect that their clients want to lie there, relax, not move, not talk, and receive something that feels really good. And there are, probably are a lot of clients that want that, but it turns out that a lot of clients are quite willing to uh, participate with, say, some active movement or directing their breath to a certain part of the body or reporting on what they feel. And so there's lots of ways that clients can be actively involved in a session that help us shift that passive, active setup. Because that doesn't really help pain to think that I'm just going to go lie there on a table and someone's going to fix me and then leave and feel all better. That's a tough, that's a tall order. Sometimes it happens. In fact, there's a lot of amazing things we all know that make that happen sometimes. But when it doesn't happen and we don't get there, then it probably means, like you said, more client involvement somehow. This this goes into a little bit of a, a tangent, so I don't want to go too far too far down that. But um, it kind of pulls back to the conversation around pain being a motivator, right? It lets us know that something's troubling us. Therefore, we're motivated to try and work yeah. at it. So we can oftentimes use yeah. uh, the motivation factor behind pain to help encourage our clients to take an active role when they're not expecting mm-hmm. it necessarily. Now, mm-hmm. there is, of course, this, this issue of client consent and, and, and making sure your client knows what you're doing. But I think going beyond that, there is client education. And how does client education fit into to pain? Does it also alter their experience? Well, there's, there's some really good research about pain education changing people's pain. When people understand that pain doesn't relate all the time to tissue damage, they don't have as much pain. 
you know, their pain ratings aren't as high. Hmm. So it's not as simple as I just made it sound. It's not just about telling someone, oh, by the way, did you know that pain you have doesn't relate to tissue damage? That wouldn't be the right kind of intervention probably. And it is nuanced and it is subtle because people can hear that sort of thing as, oh, it's all in my head. You're telling me it's not real. They can have an experience of invalidation from clumsy pain education, you could say. But it it is the case that a lot of the benefit we have is getting people to relate to their pain differently. Depending on our gifts and our scope and the way we work with people, that could be explaining and gently educating. But often it's, I mean, you say it this way, education can happen like this. You can realize, oh, I can move my arm in that way. I didn't realize I could, and it doesn't hurt. That's the kind of education. You do offer both uh, online and in-person trainings around this. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's a whole, we have a whole library of online trainings, and that's always the goal is to keep them from being purely theoretical because most of us in this field are very practical people. We want to get know what to do with our hands. You know, we want to know what to do. So we're trying to make those as, as practical as we can. And then a bunch of different in, in-person trainings too, often focused around a condition, like a particular complaint. But that's just our organizing schema because there, in, there ends up being lots of things we can learn and teach about how to work with people in general when we get together and start doing it. So what are some of the resources people can look up and learn more about how pain, with the nature of pain, and how to work with it? Well, I, there's, a, there's a lot, and they're changing all the time, and we actually have a resource page. I'll go ahead and give the, is it okay if I give the URL? Yeah, please do. It's uh, a-t.tv slash pain resources, all one word, a-t.tv slash pain resources. That's our up-to-date collection of like uh, articles, YouTubes, videos, different things to read. Our, uh, if you've taken one of our trainings too, then we have a Facebook forum where we talk about this stuff. It's only open to people that have taken either, either an online training or an in-person training, so we have some kind of common language, but we, we uh, invite you into that once you've done one of our trainings. And uh, if you just Google, uh, well, you know, some of the original uh, pioneers that were really part of the shift in the pain landscape were uh, Lorimer Mosley and David Butler. So if you just if you just go to YouTube and type in Lorimer Mosley, you're going to get a bunch of this really fun lectures laying out some of these ideas, or David Butler talking about nerve dynamics. Uh, it's another great resource. But again, that that pain resources page is where our up-to-date collection of that. You had an interesting experience yourself with an acu- with an acupuncturist with regards to fear versus pain. Can you share that with us? Yeah, well, I had an acupuncturist who was from Shanghai, and his work was really painful in my experience. He used large needles and he twirled them and pumped them in and out, and uh, I'd break into a sweat and just get anxious just going to see him. So I asked him at one point, is pain an important part of this process? Does that make it more effective somehow? Is that relevant? And he said, uh, well, Chinese people, he said, which I'm not sure about, Chinese people don't have a word for pain. Chinese people don't have a word for pain, he said. So they might describe it as a burning sensation, a pressure so there was something, it turns out that he's, you know, when I, when I run that story by some of my Chinese-speaking friends, they go, no, that's probably not true. But what he was saying, I think, was really interesting, that actually if I get away from my usual linguistic associations of what that is 
and focus on the sensation itself, it's very different. It's a very different experience. If you think about cultures that have very intimate relationships with certain pieces of their world, they tend to have a lot more words to describe it. You know, you have the Inuit mm-hmm. people that have a bunch of different words for the for snow. Mm-hmm. And so the more we... Yeah, the we, more we to de- joke that uh, rolfers have, you know, 14 words for pain. The rolfers <laughs> would have a lot of words for pain, like Eskimos <laughs> have a lot of words for snow. Because we were using a lot of pressure, Yeah, typically, in the old days. Some of us still do. But no, you're right. The, we, the things that we attend to in our culture or subculture, we develop a really differentiated vocabulary around. Well, before I let you go, is there a way people can get in touch with you uh, and learn more about the work that you do and perhaps check out your trainings? Sure. It would just be our website, advanced-trainings.com, advanced with a D, trainings with an S.com, or shorthand is a-t.tv, a-t.tv. That'll take you there. And there's a bunch of free courses there that you can just watch. You only pay if you get, if you want to get the credit or the extras to go with them. And of course, would love to see you in some of our in-person advanced myofascial techniques trainings that we're teaching around the country. Very good. And I'll put that in the, uh, the bio section under, under your picture and bio in uh, the episode list as well. So people can have access to that. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to add to the, the subject of, of pain and, and how we work with it? With our, with our hands and our presence? Yeah, I think it would just be the idea that when we're working with someone in pain, to think beyond the tissue, to understand the pain is an experience. And we can actually touch experience. We're actually changing people's experience all the time through the sensation of our touch. So we're, we can work directly with that pain experience, but it isn't the physical thing we're touching as much as the impact of the sensation. So if you can imagine that you're actually touching pain, you can have an amazing impact on someone. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I look forward to perhaps talking to you again. Likewise. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Haley. Bye. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you had wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, please visit the website at www.housethepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well. (music) 